Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth, and open us to your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Brene Brown is a therapist and a researcher on vulnerability and shame. She's a best-selling author, and her first TED Talk had over 4 million views on the Internet, which I mention because shame is not an easy subject to talk about. Brown herself claims that the best possible way to shut down conversation on an airplane is to tell your seatmate that you study shame. Shame is one of the most destructive of all human emotions. Brene Brown defines it as the gremlin inside us that speaks up when you're about to do something important and maybe bold in your life, but you tell yourself you can't because of something in your past. Shame is the voice inside that says you're not good enough. You never finished that MBA. Your wife left you. I know those things that happened to you growing up. I know you think you're not pretty enough or smart enough or powerful enough. I know your dad never paid attention even when you made CFO. These are voices of shame that keep us from living. Jungian analysts call shame the swampland of the soul. Brene Brown clarifies that the goal of her work is not for people to live in that swampland, but just that they walk in it and find their way around. So many of us would love to construct lives where we can do the important and bold things we have been dreaming about. In order for that to happen, we have to get to know our voices of shame. So, there's some popular psychology for your Sunday morning. But I'm not a psychologist, I'm a preacher, and this is church, so what does it have to do with faith? My observation is that shame is a lot like something we talk about in church. These two things are sort of different sides of the same coin. Shame shares much of the same emotional baggage with what Christians call sin. Just like Brene Brown notes that shame is an unpopular topic for conversation, sin is also unpopular. This morning I'm going to argue that is because we don't often think very holistically about sin. Sin is a name we often give to specific mistakes and bad choices, but the classical definition of sin is much different than that. In the classic theological sense, sin is not an action, it's a fact. Sin is a characteristic of human experience. 
Sin is not the piece of chocolate cake you ate or the act of adultery or the time that you lost your temper. Sin is the human condition that makes all of those things possible. It's the reality of being fallible and imperfect. And like shame, our inability to come to terms with sin often makes us feel stuck, trapped in the past, hesitant about our capabilities or our self-worth, unable to freely go after our dreams. Like shame, sin is that gremlin that says, you're no good, and people are going to find out. The critical thing that gets lost in our talk about sin is that sin has an end, a direction, a positive outcome, a light at the end of the tunnel. And the reason we prefer not to talk about sin is we forget about that part. In the classical theological sense, sin, when acknowledged, leads to contrition, a genuine confessed regret for whatever action arose from our flaws. That's how we take responsibility for what has happened. And that confession is what opens the way for forgiveness and grace. Sin is a reality none of us can escape. It is part of us because we're human. But it is the first path on a, a step on a path that leads us into healing in the present and hope for the future. The existence of forgiveness and grace is what allows us, even though we are sinners, to live. This is the Christian contribution to the conversation about shame, or any conversation about being stuck in your past. Jesus helps us find our way to the future. We're in the middle of a series of five sermons on the book of Hebrews, which I have described as theological heavy lifting. The subjects we've been talking about are not easy. Last week we talked about where God is when people suffer. And this week, the subject is sin. The author of Hebrews gets at these difficult subjects by describing what difference Jesus makes. Jesus is described using two metaphors, and this week I wish to talk about the verses that call Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. As a pioneer, Jesus is understood to be on a journey. He's a fully human person who traveled the road of life just like you and me. He encountered all of the same twists and turns and roadblocks that we meet. As a pioneer, he goes first. He goes before us on the journey and shows us the way. He gives us a model to follow, and Jesus' model is a perfect one. He is the perfecter of faith because every time that Jesus encounters sin along the road of life, he figures out how to take people on the road to forgiveness and redemption. He is the perfecter of our faith because his road does not end with sin. 
Jesus finds people in the midst of a past that is tearing them apart, and he meets them in the present and leads them to the future. Where sin threatens to stall our life and shake our faith, Jesus makes things right. Jesus never leaves us stuck in sin. He is the perfecter of our faith. I planned an outline of this sermon back in early August as a part of my preparations for the fall. When I returned to the text this past week, it was impossible to ignore the news headlines. The Senate Judiciary Committee hearings are a litany of shame and sin. Decades later, these stories of the past have and are taking a profoundly disruptive character in the lives of these two people and the millions who are watching. I have no desire to make a political comment this morning. I'm sure your feelings and opinions are many, and I do not wish to alienate any of you, nor do I consider myself to be an authority on the matter. What I observe from the perspective of my faith is this, and it cuts across both aisles and far beyond our elected officials and all of the pundits. The conversation I am seeing is completely void of any thoughtful or helpful definition of sin. There is no humble sense on the part of senators or media that we are all sinners. Nor is there any apparent desire for forgiveness and redemption and grace. There is no hopeful future being discussed, just a ruined past and present on every side. And this is the problem with misunderstanding sin. Too often we talk about sin with no intention for contrition, redemption, confession, forgiveness. And when we do that, all that we're left with is shame. It's a swampland of the soul. And we are not just walking around in it trying to get to know it better. We are living there. I wonder, in the midst of a culture where Christianity often seems less and less relevant, if this is where thoughtful Christians need to be part of the conversation. In a culture that parades sin and shame in front of us every week until one story grows old and a new one takes its place, when will Christians speak up in a new way? Can we remind our culture that some of us don't just believe in sin and shame alone? We believe in confession, repentance, forgiveness, and grace. We don't believe in destroying lives, and we don't believe in silencing those whose lives have been destroyed in the past. We believe in healing work that restores and sustains communities. 
In his own life, Jesus did that work over and over again. He is the, per- the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He has gone before us, and he calls us to follow him. These comments are not just of a public nature. As I stated at the outset, sin and shame are the stuff that shapes and paralyzes individual lives every day. The stuckness that comes from sin is present in your workplace and your church and your very own homes. So our ability and willingness not just to air grievances but to work toward responsibility and healing is the essence of Christian faith. Think of the stories of Jesus, eating with tax collectors, reaching out to the woman at the well and restoring her life, convicting the rich man of his lifelong neglect of Lazarus. These are stories of sin in which Jesus is trying to restore people to a meaningful life. This morning we welcome new members to Knox Church, more than 20 of them over the course of this morning. Sin may seem like a rather unwelcoming topic for the day, but I think perhaps it is not, and there are at least two reasons why. There's a place where public conversations about abuse meet the church. It happens in many ways with people of a variety of ages, but most often it is about clergy and children. No thoughtful parent brings a child to church anymore without considering the risks. It is unfortunate, but true. By speaking plainly and directly to you about abuse, I am proactively telling you that we take many steps to make Knox a safe place. Any concern you ever have about your safety or that of someone you love will always be treated with seriousness. Always. We want people to know that they are welcome here. And feeling safe is the very first step to feeling welcome. I also hope this is a good new member's sermon for a second reason, and this one I think is a little more inspiring. In the midst of a culture that is often discouraging, I hope Knox is a place where better conversations can take place. Many congregations think the church's public witness amounts to taking a position on a divisive issue, and there's a place for that. But in how many places are church folk considering public issues and really putting them in conversation with our deepest beliefs? The reality of sin, the need for confession, and the healing power of forgiveness, repentance, and grace. I believe we're called to do this work, to ask what it means to have thoughtful, compassionate Christian conversations in a world where it is greatly needed. Our culture needs this conversation. 
Will you be a part of that work? That's a great reason to join a church. Some of my preacher friends and I joke with one another that even though we're up here more than 40 weeks out of the year, most of us really only have one or two sermons we preach over and over again. We just keep changing the illustrations. One of mine has always been this. The renegade Southern Baptist preacher Will Campbell was once asked to to describe Christian belief in ten words or less. He took nine. We're no damn good, but God loves us anyway. Too often, Christians get stuck on the first half of that statement, dwelling on the idea that we're no good, and that becomes the Christian message. That's what a lot of people think it is. God is so much more compassionate than that. God knows we aren't perfect. God knows our sin and our shame, the things in our past that keep us from really living in the present. God created us and loves us and wants us to have a future. So God loves us anyway. Sin is where we begin. Confession, forgiveness, repentance, grace, The love of God. That's the message. That's our witness to the world. Amen.